Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 308, recorded November 3rd, 2019. So today we're continuing our UK comic strips coverage. This will be story number 10, 11, and 12, which are in the volume 1 of the hardcover uh, Star Trek Classic UK Comics. So these came out end of 1969 and the beginning to mid-1970. Yeah, and we see a little transition here in these three storylines. It goes into a new publishing magazine, I believe. Is that what happened? I think so. So it went from, what, TV21 or was... Yeah, TV21 and Joe 90, right? And Joe they... 90. So they just okay. changed the name of the company or the book? I think the publication shift a little bit. Uh, but definitely, uh, they went to a new artist, and they went to black and white instead of color prints. Ah, I may not have it right, but... but then they do uh, jump back to color after these issues, so... Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Hmm. So, I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, but this, it's the same format, so was it a weekly magazine? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's a weekly magazine. Right. And it's very Gold Key-esque at times... And it's just, and at times, some of these look like uh, Flash Gordon esque, kind of. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in some ways, not too beholding to the original TV series, but in other ways, it is pretty close. Uh, you know, I mean, most of the artwork, they, the actors look right. Um, and the ships look right. Well, at least the Enterprise, the anyway. The Federation ships look okay now. Yeah, yeah. It's the other ships that. That look like, wacko. I don't see that in Star Trek, but okay. No. And even there's a lot of artistic license with what some of the reused TV villains look like. And how yeah, they're presented. So, yeah, spoiler. We, we actually get some uh, TV, return TV villains in these, these stories for the first yes. time. Yes. Yep. So that was cool. I, I, I was happy to see those two uh, species come back. Yeah, me too. Only <laughs> I was put off a bit by uh, how they appeared. Yeah, they don't quite look the same, but no. uh, but well, I mean, but you got to remember, Gold Key had the Romulans. No, it was the the Golden. No, the Peter Pan books had the Romulans as like green elf looking guys. Oh, yeah, like Ming the, they all look like Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Only green, right? Okay. Anyways, shall we move on? Yes, please. To the actual story. Let's do it. All right. So this is the tenth story, which is entitled. Menace of the Moloch. And this came out in the uh, TV21 and Joe 90 books from issues 12 through 17. And that was between December 13th, 1969 and January 17th, 1970. According to this hardcover book, the writers are not listed, but the artist is listed as Harry Linfield. So there's no cover to talk about, so we'll just jump straight into the story. Cruising through space, the starship Enterprise happens upon a 
alien rocket ship. And this looks just like a, uh, you know, a jet turbine or just a plain old rocket. Kirk and Spock take a shuttle close to the rocket. Then they jump out and do a quick spacewalk from the shuttle to the rocket, and they enter the craft via airlock. Once inside, they find it empty of life, but there are some creature comforts such as chairs, cockpit controls, and a whole bunch of spacesuits still on the hangar. Suddenly, the two are knocked out with a high-pitched noise, and then when they're on the ground, they just vanish. Sometime later, Scotty takes a second group of people in. When they come into the rocket, they see that the ship is empty, but instead of hanging around, they just quickly grab the ship logs and leave as fast as they can. Back on the Enterprise, Uhura is able to translate the paper logs, and she's able to figure out something about a war between Eldor and Norris, and then also something about a transporter beam. Meanwhile, Spock and Kirk find that they have been beamed to the Nossian stronghold. Being accused of working with the Eldor, the pair have to fight a giant spider in order to prove their innocence. After a couple of hits to the creature with their chains, the Starfleeters learn that the creature is actually a giant robot. Spock then decides to break the robot's visual sensors, and when he does this, it causes the robot to accidentally attack the Nassian leaders. Instead of proving their innocence, this act has enraged them even more, and they are sent off to the slave camps. Back on the Enterprise, Scotty has dressed in a blue uniform for some reason. Ohora informs them that a second rocket is incoming. The rocket blasts past the Enterprise with a few near misses, yet eventually stops and opens up communication. The alien crew inside inform Scotty that they are the Eldor and that they know where the Narcian has taken their commander, which is Spock and Kirk. Meanwhile, back in the slave camp, Kirk and Spock pretend to be cowering cowards in their cell, just whining and moaning. This causes the guards to decide to come into the cell to give them a beatdown or something. Once the guards are inside, Spock and Kirk drop the charade and pounce upon them and make their escape. Scotty and a group of Starfleet commandos ride with the Eldor to the slave planet. The Eldor are able to quickly knock out the air defenses and they land. Once they're on the ground, the rocket ship sprouts legs and starts walking across the battlefield, stomping on enemy tanks and turrets. Scotty's team eventually find Kirk and Spock. They are prepared to depart, and Scotty informs the captain that he has helped the Eldor win this war while the two of them were taking a little vacation in the slave camp. The end. Wah, 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 wah. Okay. I guess the first thing to mention is one of the things we mentioned earlier. Odd drawing of alien spaceships. So the it's the Eldor craft that they first found drifting in space and then later they used in that raid. That looks like just a big jet engine. That's it. It just looks, looks like a big jet engine, maybe a rocket engine, you may want to call it, you know, from certain angles. It just looks like a big big rocket engine. Right. And that's it. Not yep. a lot of creativity there. I thought that but, was But, I mean, choice. you're more familiar with, like, Thunderbirds and stuff. Is that something that you could see Thunderbirds using? No. No? Okay. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, they had a spaceship. 
uh, one of the Thunderbirds was a spaceship, but at least it was more interesting. I mean, it was like a traditional, you know, upright rocket ship configuration, but they had extra engines and, and parts on it. It looked, eh, it looked pretty cool for, uh, you know, a traditional upright rocket ship thing. Uh, right. Much more interesting than this. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So. No, it definitely is weird, and it's also weird that, I mean, it's only a couple panels, but, I mean, I don't understand why... Spock and Kirk had to get out of the shuttle in order to jump into the the rocket. I mean, couldn't they, like, clamp onto it or something? Why couldn't they beam in? I don't remember if it says why they can't beam in. Hmm. In fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. They just decide not to do it. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, uh... Yeah, so they might not have a a compatible uh, docking port. Maybe. So if you can't dock, uh, then I guess you have to do a spacewalk. But, uh... Plus, I've seen the inside of those shuttles. There's not an airlock in there. It's just a door. So when, as right. soon as they open so that go. door, all there the paper go. and stuff that's in the shuttle, sucked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the original shuttlecrafts, Matt Jeffries did a very different concept for what the shuttles look like. And actually, Eagle Moss has made them. So you can get an Eagle Moss, uh, Matt Jeffries uh, shuttle concept. And part of the reason they didn't make it the way Matt Jeffries had designed it is because of costs. So the only thing the Galileo 7 was was pretty much just a shoebox-shaped thing with, uh, you know, a you know, more pointed front and then, then like, kind of nacelles on the side. Yeah. yeah. And when you go into it, it's like... Well, the inside, you know, there's like no room for any mechanism. <laughs> right. So you're you saying know. that the original one has all that inside of it? No, what, what I'm saying, it was done on the cheap. So yeah, no, no, you're no, no, I'm saying the right, original but... design. The design they didn't make. Did it have an airlock and stuff? Oh, I I only know it from the outside, but I ah. hope so. I certainly it's a bigger it's a bigger device it's a bigger craft. Okay. You can tell from the size of the windows and stuff. Um. Now, mind you, it was a little fanciful, but, but yeah, I mean, it was a cheap, it was a cheap box. I mean, wouldn't you think, no matter what you're doing, any kind of a ship would need to have an airlock of some kind? Of course, the Orville shuttles don't, but I would think that you have a shuttlecraft of some kind, you would want to have an airlock provision. But yeah, they probably have the Star Wars airlock where it's just the blue light around it to signify that oh. there's some sort of force field. Okay, well. Well, fine. I guess if you got that technology, that would work, too. And, but, I mean, uh, even Star Trek eventually adopted for... Uh, was it the motion picture? That was the first time they showed the, launch, the the shuttle bay opening up and people were still in the shuttle bay on the Enterprise when, when the docking bay was open. Oh, in the motion picture? Yeah. When, when was that? I mean, they, they had that one big scene where everybody was on, like, in a big room. In the shuttle bay? Was that in the shuttle bay? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. Maybe. I know yeah. that they eventually did it. I mean, because we saw it in, like, Star Trek V and stuff, definitely. Yeah, and there was that, yeah, so, uh, what, in Nemesis, you know, where they really made a big use of uh, force fields. Right. To uh, to be emergency, you know, cover over emergency openings like <laughs> like the bridge. You know, finally, finally, a bad guy smartens up and shoots at the bridge. What a tempting target! Right. Anyway, 
Well, as far as movies go, uh, Generations definitely had it when uh, right after Kirk got sucked out. Then that's when the the seal came on and right. Chekhov got to see him float away or whatever. Right. Well, anyways, wait, wait. did we ever see Kirk float away? No, because he was in the Nexus. Exactly. Right. So we we all, all we know is like you see Kirk like oh my gosh. And then you never see him again until he pops up. Right. Chopping wood. Chopping wood. <sighs> he still With got it. Girlfriend in the cabin. He still got it. Right. So anyways, you want to go talk about this issue again? Yeah, let's come back to it. Okay, yeah. Blue tunic for Scotty. Yeah, well, I don't know. And it's only Scotty. Everybody else has the right color pretty much. Uh, Uhura's got a red dress. Um, yeah. There's well, a guy with purple, but I don't know what he's supposed to be. Oh, purple? Oh. Yeah. Or maybe okay. it's supposed to be red. Yeah, and the command gold tunics kind of look green. Yeah. But whatever, close enough. Sure. But Scotty being a blue tunic, clearly a blue tunic, throughout the entire issue or the storyline, it's like, that's wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, I kept thinking that it was Scott, uh, McCoy, and then I was like, oh, no, that's, that's Scotty. Yeah. He's just, uh, maybe his other one's in the wash. <laughs> right, right. Maybe he got tired of all the other red shirts dying, so he's like, you know what, maybe I'm going to wear a blue one today. <sighs> exactly. So, you know, last time we did UK issues, I think we talked about how they definitely put Scotty in the... the yes. He's, he's always the one that wins. And well, it wasn't until I read this that I kindly, I finally figured out why. Yeah, me too. And it's, it's not this one, it's the next one. Where yeah. he really is the hero. Yeah. Is it the second one or is it the third one? I think it's the second uh, one. I think all three of them. Well, but anyways, but you know why now. Well, right? yeah, it, it just occurred to me too. It's a UK comic. Right, UK comic. And who's from the UK on the crew? <laughs> the Scotsman. Exactly. Scotsman would be from the UK. <laughs> exactly. He has, he's obviously the hero of the show. Well, yeah, and Kirk looks really bad in the Klingon one. Oh, sorry. He's bad in all of them. He, every single one, he gets captured and has to wait for Scotty to come save him. <laughs> <laughs> so in this one, he was, he, was, he was enslaved, but then he had to act like a coward, and then when the guys wanted to come in and beat him, then that's when he's like, all right, let's leave. But then all he really does is gets out of the cell and then has to wait for Scotty to come. Well, him. yeah, yeah. At least Spock and Kirk got out of the cells, and they in were on one. their way to do something. Yeah, in this one, in this one. Yeah, later they don't even get that. Oh, one. later Kirk looks really bad. <laughs> he looks like a coward. Right. And it takes the plucky Scotsman to save the day because of the failure of the captain. Anyway, let's we're we're getting too far in the future. Let's not jump too much forward. So I, I did, I did not understand why these guys would have decided to come in when they're just like oh please don't hurt us anymore and then and they're like you know what I'm gonna go in there and hurt them some more like, why would they do that <laughs> because they're bullies they're bad it's guys not, they really the... go ahead they really made these guys single dimensional jerk bad guys which is fine whatever but th- th- there's no motivation for how bad they are unless maybe it's we've got one eye we're, we're unhappy we're pissed yeah, at least they didn't look quite... They didn't look like a human with a weird forehead. They at least uh, had something else going for them. Exactly. They're, they're a single cyclops. single cyclops eye, right. 
with a giant unibrow. But I guess if you only had one eye, you would only have one eyebrow. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Would, it would. And if it's such a big eye, big eyebrow. Exactly. And yet their robot crab thing had two eyes. Well, yeah. That was a... Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? It was like part tortoise shell and crab pincers, and then the face was... What was that? It was furry like a cat? Yeah, it looked like a cat, kind of. Right. But, w- yeah, kind yeah, of cat. Yeah, Big that's fangs it. and everything, so, yeah. It's like it's an odd combination. But then it has, like, a scorpion tail type thing. It's not curled like a scorpion tail, but it's kind of, like, out from the body. Flaccid. One of the shots, yeah. Kind of dragging so, behind, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if... I don't know what it was supposed to be. Maybe, like, a stingray stinger or something like that? Ah, uh, maybe. Maybe. That he never actually bothered. Anyways, me. it it looked cool, and then they kind of took it out, kind of stupid, where he just hits a hits one Chains. claw, and he's like, "Hey, this is a robot," and then Spock's like, "I'm gonna break its eyeballs," <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> For a robot, you would think it would be a little bit more resilient. Sure. I mean, was it wasn't Kirk able to like like shatter one of the pincers or something? I mean, he he actually cracks the outer the outer covering off, and then right. it's like left Reveals with some kind of a something. bone metal kind of thing underneath. Right. Wow, really? That's, hmm. Yeah, and at first I thought, okay, because even the guys that are, like, watching it, they're like, oh, well, I think they finally figured out that it's a robot. And I was thinking, well, maybe they're just, they just try to do this to see if they're cowards or not, you know, if they're going to attack the creature or not. But mm-hmm. then they let it keep going, even after the, the robot starts, you know, going amok. Right, they're still like, I don't know, acting like it's really going to hurt them. Right, and they can't just turn it off with a button. You'd think they'd be able to. Yeah. Oh no, Kirk and and Spock hurt its control interface. Yeah, right. Mm. Anyway, it, it's kind of this is the one that was kind of like Buck Rogers look. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you got a flatatorial fight, whatever. To you know. And then they put you up against a Rancor monster or whatever, although this one didn't look nearly as cool as a Rancor. And uh, and then the, the bad guys have, like, big, long capes and stuff, and they're bald on the top. And uh, Well, actually, no, not, not 100% bald. They've got a little red hair on the very top. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Anyway, I just got it, a... It, it's a the other guys a... that are completely bald. The, yes. The Eldor. Yeah, the Eldor look like little uh, green aliens from Mars. Yeah. So their their eyes are just like dots. They don't have any like white parts of their eyes. Yeah, but their face—I mean, the the middle of their face looks very human-like. Right, but they got the unibrow too going. But then they, they do. Got Spock ears and they got Spock ears. That's right. And they're not very tall, but boy, they are nice guys, aren't they? Nice guys. And from a battle standpoint, quite competent. How'd right. you like well, that? How'd you like that at at? Yeah, why do they even need Scotty in them? It's like, why have y'all not won this war a long time ago if you have vehicles that can take out a whole planet's defenses? <laughs> oh, yeah, one. So and then, yeah, then land and then turn into a walking tank. Exactly. So is that an AT-AT or is it an AT-AT? Both. Both are acceptable. Okay, okay, fine. So it's walking around like an AT-AT, and uh, uh, I like AT-AT better. Anyway... Yeah, and uh, and apparently, even though it's an, a walking target, the uh, the bad guys can't uh, take it out. Nope. 
They just sit there, shoot at it until they get stepped on. Exactly. Yeah, I want to know where these legs came from because, you know, it is not a huge rocket ship, ship looking thing. No. And these legs are pretty big. Yep. And by the way, you never get a full shot of it. Once it goes into AT-AT mode, you only see, like, a shot of its foot or uh, the bottom part of it. Uh, as they're as the bad guys are shooting at you, never see the full thing. Right. Yeah. There's one shot where it's like standing next to the the dome city or whatever, and you can see the rocket ship part and the legs, but then you can't see the feet. So. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So it's oh, I didn't even notice that. That's far off in the distance, though. Yeah, it's far off in the distance. And it looks. Oh, so did did just the front part of it? Is that the entire ship, or just think, a, like a I front think it's part? Supposed to be the entire ship of the hmm. rocket. Well, I mean, the whole thing's just this rocket tube. Well, yeah, but it has, it has like, yeah, fine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. man. Okay. Don't think just, about it as hard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They only put so much money into this. Right. Yeah. Well, they gotta they gotta <clears throat> cram a lot of story into two pages, and then they gotta make it simple enough that if you missed an issue, the next if you missed an issue and came back, you wouldn't be totally lost on those two pages. So. Don't expect a lot of character development page to page. But anyways, I, I mean, this story's throwaway, but I, I thought the artwork was pretty good and yeah. different. Yeah. The only thing is, but some of the dialogue is definitely not not consistent with our characters. Like, now, what uh, is it? They keep saying Jupiter a lot and uh, E-Gods at one point. Oh. Or is that another <clears> issue? No, no. They, they say stupid things like that, yeah. Like, my uh... Stars. My stars. Yeah. And then Spock's dialogue in some specific places. Like, there's a spot when they're in the shuttle, and I think it's Spock who says it. Yes, but they're in spacesuits, so it's kind of hard to say, hard to know for sure. He, sure. Uh, he's, I think it's Spock that says, yes, I've got an odd feeling. Something making my flesh creep. It's like, <laughs> that is not Spock. Feeling? Right. Even if he has feelings, he, it, wasn't, it wasn't until he was old that he would admit to it. Right. And then my flesh creep? Come on. Spock wouldn't say that. Premonitions. Exactly. Um, and then here's another one. Then oh, then where in all creations have they gone? Maybe they melted away? And it's like, what? Uh, cr- where in all creation have they gone? Spock isn't very oriented towards, you know... Uh, religion, I don't think. I don't think he ever seemed to be anyway. Well, and so then logic, religion. Well, uh, the okay, but was very devout. Okay, but uh, but a creationism type religion, no, yeah, not. no. And then uh, then melted away. No, that's 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 very uh, fanciful. That's a fanciful term for for Spock to be using. Right, and I do find it funny that they they act like they don't know what a transporter is. They just disappeared. I wonder how. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This whole thing seems like a uh, they just use a transporter. Right. And and by the way, you can do that. I mean, with their ship. I mean, as long as you don't have shields up, you can just transport the other guy's crew away. So um, that's something that I've always come to kind of surprise it doesn't happen more often. But in Star Right, Trek. you just... You hit them enough until their shields go down, and then you beam their crew into exactly. space. Exactly. Well, oh, well, into space, yeah. You could beam them to the brig, but... Eh. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. 
I agree. So those are those are some specific examples where the dialogue was a little bit atypical. Oh, sure. another thing that comes to mind is there was a there was a spot when they're in the prison and stuff, and Kirk and Spock they're talking about. They're going to take all these uh, risks. They're going to risk their lives on a violent ex- uh, escape. And and the conversation they have before they do it just sounds like such a swashbuckling, unintelligent conversation. They're going to take all these risks and uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and even if they end up dying, I mean, this sounds like, you know, a lot less than Kirk and Spock and a lot more like Butch and Sundance. You know, they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. That's right. again when they're in in I mean, and they get imprisoned a lot in the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're never that like risk taking or I mean, it's always it's always thought out. Sure, you know, they always think about what they're doing. Um, they they do it as intelligently as they can. Uh, not like this is depicting things, but whatever. Nope, agreed. Yeah, but this is a. Uh... This is maybe aimed more at kids than even the TV show was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is. I mean, you got to look at who the Joe 90 and TV 21, I mean, they're, you, you said they're, they're the ones that made those puppet puppet shows, right? So. Puppet shows. <laughs> yeah. What were the other ones? It well, was Thunderbirds and what was some of the other ones they did around that time? I think there was there more was... than one, right? Oh, yeah. There was Captain Scarlet. And then there was, was it Fireball 500? Something like that. And then uh, Team America, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of their best, I think. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was funny. Matt and Trey, when they're saying they will never do a movie like this again. It was that hard to do to do that thing. And the, and then they they commented, "Well, at least they were able to do puppet sex on on, on the big screen." So, okay. Yep. <sighs> Anyways, what else you got, Skipper? I got nothing. I do think it's funny that that uh, Scotty always calls Kirk Skipper all of a sudden. Yeah, isn't it? So I don't know. Is that a must be a common UK thing? Because I mean, the only time I ever heard of Skipper is Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think of Skipper, and that's like, oh, that's kind of a derogatory thing to call your your captain. Because, you know, the skipper wasn't well, on that. Like, on, I, don't, on I, don't, I don't think it's really. derogatory. I think it's just just something that, I mean, they, they use a lot of nautical kind of things in Star Trek. You know, the the whistle. Woo! You know, that. That's true. You yeah. know, all, all these things and, and, and their, their ranks are definitely uh, nautical. Admirals, captains, whatever. Or well, admiral, I guess captain. You, you have captains in every branch of the service services. But, yeah, I guess they just took it a little further than uh, Star Trek ever did. Right. Yeah, but there's definitely... Th- this is this is a great example of uh, what you were talking about earlier, the idea that uh, Kirk is kind of a clueless wimp. Uh, towards the end of this issues, one. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know if it continues. Maybe maybe later it'll maybe kind of write itself, but not these three. Yeah. And not the ones we read before. So this is our... We've read twelve now, so yeah, uh, he's he's not always the hero. No, or... no, and especially in this one. Uh, so Kirk, before Kirk and Spock meet up with Scotty and his group, they come around the corner, and Kirk almost shoots Scotty, and then he is so 
discombobulated or emotional or just wrung out from everything that's happened today that it shows they're actually having to take the gun out of Kirk's hands. <laughs> I, I think I, I think it was it was Spock. Spock is like going up and kind of taking the gun out of his hands. It's like, really? Kirk is going to be that wigged out by events that he's got to be kind of coddled and stuff? No, that ain't Kirk. Right, and then even the last uh, the last caption in the last in the last panel says, "Gradually, Kirk recovering his composure." Exactly. Like, was he crying? I don't understand. What, yeah. what composure? Yeah. No, no. Anyways, no. anyways, that's that's not my Scott. That's that's not my Kirk, my friend. Oh no, but which is funny. Which does Scott... make him more human. Sure. But then, but then that just opens the door to making Scotty even more uh, of the hero, I guess. Right. Which a lot of times uh, was also the case in the Gold Key. Gold Key, he was often mm-hmm. more more uh, heroic than Kirk was. Yeah, but I don't think he ever was this far. No, maybe not. Not not in these issues, anyway. Okay, that's all I have to say. All right, shall we move on to, was it 11? Yes, yes. Uh, So this is Storyline 11, published date 1970. Um, Now this one's interesting because in um, the issues that made up the story, 18 through 22, Harry F. Linfield does the artwork, and then on the 23rd issue, Jim Bakey is the artist. And you can see the difference in in artistic style, and that's also when it goes black and white. So, okay. The Enterprise is cruising along, minding their own business, when an all-red Klingon attack ship comes at them from a fast attack vector. Shields are raised. The attacker gives them a disruptor love tap and turns tail uh, to get out of there. Angered, Kirk... Angrily orders a pursuit course. The bloody Klingons will not get away with another unprovoked attack this time. The Enterprise pursues the ship to planet Sigor. The ship lands, uh, the, the enemy ship, the Klingon ship, lands Thunderbirds 3 style, uh, and it's even the same color as Thunderbirds 3, through an opening in the ground to a secret underground lair. This was all a Klingon trap. The Klingon commander with watermelon-sized forehead says they will use their experimental weapon on one of the humans in the shuttle that is searching for the hidden attack ship. They will kill the human swine and return it to the Federation crew so they can mourn and be fearful of a fate that they all might share. (laughs) The shuttle lands in a search-and-destroy party disembarks led by Kirk. Kirk has the team spread out to make the search more effective, which plays right into the Klingons' hands. The Klingons grab the crewman named Hoskins and brings him underground. Kirk and the search party realize Hoskins is gone, and that the ground has metal beneath the dirt. They landed the ship underground, which is where the Klingons are likely hiding. The Klingons use their experimental device on the hapless human and return him to the surface. Kirk runs up to Hoskins and sees his body is drying out and breaking into bits. He crumbles to dust. Kirk quickly recovers from the shock of seeing one of his own men turn to dust in front of him and orders everyone back to the ship. He is staying. Sula refuses to go. 
Underground, the Klingons say it's the captain they must impress, so they send a party to the surface to capture Kirk and Sulu. After a hand-to-hand brawl, they capture Kirk and Sulu. The Klingons gather the ashes of Hoskins and bring all of them to the Down Under. Next, the Klingons demonstrate that their secret weapon has a reverse switch. Hoskins' ashes are put back on a table that is then bombarded by a strange ray emitted by three overhead directed energy projectors. Hoskins is reconstituted and groggily gets up from the table. The Klingons tell Kirk to go back to Earth and tell his superiors that they must immediately surrender or the Klingon Empire will turn their disintegration ray on the whole planet and destroy it instantly. (laughs) The Klingons turn their destructo beam on the shuttlecraft Kirk's party flew down in. The beam cuts through the shuttle's shields and turns it to dust. The Klingons say they can do the same thing to the Enterprise, so go back to Earth with no delay. Kirk and Sulu return to the ship. Kirk gathers his senior staff and explains what happened. He orders them to make preparations to break orbit. They are heading for Earth. After the briefing, Scotty suspects Kirk might be brainwashed. So he goes rogue and beams down to the planet to see the weapon for himself. McCoy tells Kirk who turns morosely and tells everyone in the room that they will likely have seconds to live. The Klingons will detect Scotty immediately, suspect treachery, and kill them all with the death ray, to which they all have no defense. Time passes, but the Enterprise is not turned to dust. Kirk figures Scotty may not have been detected. On the planet, the chief engineer methodically finds the edge of one of the elevators using his communicator? He goes down and is able to take out the few Klingons that spotted his entrance. Scotty makes his way to the control room and watches as the lead Klingon and at least four lieutenants watch the Enterprise on a monitor. They send a transmission to the ship telling Kirk to get moving or get destroyed. They start reoriented their beam projectors to where they can get a clear shot of the ship. Scotty figures there's only one way to take care of a weapon, as Kirk described. Scotty is on the rafters of the Klingon lair, looking down on the Klingon destructo rays as workers turn it upward to aim at the Enterprise. Kirk finally makes a decision to break orbit and leaves Scotty to his fate. The Klingons relax as Mr. Scott finally arrives at what appears to be a control interface for the destructo ray. He begins his tinkering, thinking, what a good thing that electronics are universal. Which, by the way, they're not. Scotty finishes his sabotage and makes his way out of the underground lair, but not before alerting the Klingons to his presence. Scotty gets clear of the place and sends a message to the Enterprise to come back and get him. The Klingons see the Enterprise returning and target her. When they fire, they blow up the entire underground secret lair. Later, Scotty is back on board. Rather than court-martialing him, Kirk gives Scotty a big grin and says, he changed his mind about the court-martialing. This time. Scotty says he will abide by Kirk's decisions. This time. The end. Wah, wah, wah. 
So Scotty can decide when to abide by the orders. Apparently. Which is really funny. So Kirk says, I was going to court-martial you, but I'm going to change my mind this time. And then Scotty is cheeky enough to turn his words back on him and say, uh, I'll abide by Kirk's decisions this time. It's like, wow. That is not the Scotty I know. Is this where you thought that uh, they really made Kirk look bad, or is that... Oh, bad. No, this is it. Okay, I just... Oh, no, this is it. So, so, so he's a big, uh, big scared baby. So he's going (laughs) to like, oh, oh my God, we got to leave. We got to leave. You know, and it takes a plucky Scotsman to go down and save the day. Yeah, and then even while Scotty's gone the whole time, Kirk's just like, oh, we're going to, we're in for it now. We're going to die any minute. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. So how do you like the Klingons? Uh, They look like, uh, and... And I'm not trying to say this to be racist or anything, but uh, I don't know. Just with the receding hairline, it reminded me of George Jefferson. Just Ah, George Jefferson. His his hairline always kind of – because it wasn't like a full, like, you know, like Picard donut type thing. It right. Was, it kind of like went like up a, a little mid-way. higher on his head. Yeah. yeah. He had more So hair. when I saw these guys, I was just like, you know, their heads are obviously larger and, and yeah. not human-shaped, but uh, it just like – you know, if George Jefferson grew his hair out, uh, it would look like this guy. And it's funny because I thought he looked a bit like George Costanza, especially that last shot of the Klingon at the at the very end of the first issue. Oh, at the end of the first uh, first page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see George Costanza. So George's shit. George's basically. Yeah, we were on a George kick. Just we were once. Yeah, so they got beards and receding hairlines right. and. And they're not they're not very happy looking. Yeah. Yeah, this is this predates the bumpy headed, so you can't fault them for that. But. No. Now the good thing is at least they're wearing sashes. I was gonna say that. I was like, at least yes. they got the costume somewhat, right? That's yeah. better than Gold Key's done. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, they always look like Lex Luthor, right? Right, yeah. Okay, now here I had mentioned Thunderbirds three. When okay. when a ship is coming is landing and going into the you know, the opening in the ground. Oh, the Klingon ship? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. The Klingon ship, right. That is, that is, it looks kind of like Thunderbirds 3. And if I remember correctly, that's what they kept it like underground, the spaceship. And then they launch it. So that very much is uh, aping Thunderbirds 3, that third vessel. But also speaking about it, what Klingon ships ever looked like that (laughs) in the show? (laughs) Of course, this, this thing, I suppose, is more of a fighter. Or something, right? Yeah, it predates the bird of prey that we're used to from Next Generation and Star Trek Four. Yeah, yeah, and it looks nothing like any Klingon ship ever. Um, uh, no, it looks kind of like a hot rod in space. Yeah, it looks kind. The fuselage looks very much like a jet, like a modern jet, and then it's got like three rocket engines, a little bit like you know Battlestar Galactica ships or fighters. Bumpers. I was thinking. I was thinking they looked like uh, the nacelles on the land speeder that Luke had in A New Hope. You know, the uh, way. I mean, they even yeah, like yeah, they even designed kind of the same, just red. Okay, just red. Well, these are red, and then in oh, Star oh, I Wars, get the except brown. red. Yeah, gotcha, so it's gotcha. just the the front part of this is looks like a rocket ship, whereas in 
you know, Star Wars, they look like a convertible. <laughs> right. With a rounded front. Right, with a rounded front. There you go. Maybe, uh, what was his name, Lawson, who did the original Battlestar Galactica? Maybe he read this comic and was like, hey, we can make our fighters look like this. Hmm. And George was reading at the same time, thinking... <laughs> hey, what do they got me in here for? I can do something with this. Oh, oh that was a different George. <laughs> oh, sorry, George Je- George Jefferson. I was thinking George uh, George Lucas. Oh, George Lucas. Okay, yet another George. Man, we should just There's a lot of Georges. Come up with a George for every page. There you go. So I don't have a George, but when the dude just um, melts in the sand, and then Kirk's like, "Scoop it all up. Make sure you get it all." Uh, it really reminded me of. Batman, the 1966 movie. Because in it, the penguin and them, they, they have this device that uh, dehydrates people. Oh, and so is that what it is? You just like dehydrate somebody into a little pile of sand. Okay. And then Batman's able to get all that sand together and then rehydrate and them. Rehydrate them. Yeah. And then they would like boing, turn so into the. Batman uh, had a re- rehydrator, a bat well, he, rehydrator. He had to make one, yeah. But at the by the end of the movie, <laughs> he had one. Oh, okay. And so, like, the big villain part of that show was that the villains were going to um, dehydrate all of the UN. Mm-hmm. So they do that, all these different people from the different countries right. arguing. Because that's what, anytime it showed them, it was just them sitting at a table arguing because, you know, that's what the UN does. Nah. <laughs> uh, and so then when they all got dehydrated into little piles of sand, then Robin's there with a dust master. I think it's even a, a, a you know, a little dust vacuum, a bad right. dust vacuum. <laughs> don't then, mix them up yeah exactly and then later somebody sneezes and it all mixes up so then he has to like each grand granule of sand he has to sift through and then when he rehydrates them they're still arguing but they're arguing in languages that uh, aren't there so like the German oh speaking God. English the French <laughs> is speaking Swahili you know all it's like it's all mixed up and then Batman's like well, now maybe they'll learn peace, and then he like sneaks out the window. It's ah! just like, <laughs> oh, that's so horrible! It's oh my god! <laughs> but I couldn't get that out of my head by watching reading this book. I was like, ah, the Klingons have basically done the same thing the Penguin did. <laughs> well, and it, not and not in a good way. Yeah, and there was a horrible uh, third season Taz episode where they where the aliens basically removed all the uh, water. And turn people into little was it well little cubes? To, I think they turned them into little cubes, uh, so maybe they weren't piles of yeah, sand. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Something like that. Yeah, so there's there's ideas you, that there's ideas. Them? I, I think they could bring them back. I think it's one of those horrible episodes I try to avoid. Sure. Um, I get it. So back in the '60s, there's definitely ideas that that went around. I mean they. Writers watch stuff too, so they would use all these ideas. So you would watch, I guess, Batman, or you would watch Wild Wild West, or you would watch Star Trek, uh, probably other ones where they they like share ideas. Uh, I mean, there, uh, there would always be, and even next gen, there would always be like an evil twin idea, or there'd be an episode where the main characters would like lose their memory, or super fast. So there was a Wild Wild West episode similar to the uh, unfortunate Taz one where every the bad guys were able to go really fast. Anyway, whatever. I don't remember that. Which Taz episode was that? Blink of an Eye? Was that the name of it? Something like that. Where Kirk and 
company beam down to what appears to be an empty, you know, alien buildings or something, and they like hear little buzzing and things, and it turns out that the aliens are super fast. So they're they operate at a higher speed from uh, you know us. Mm. So they would be like, and then then they then they cut to the perspective of the aliens, and then the alien, and then basically, you know, the Shat and Spock are just standing there, really standing still, there. Gotcha. <laughs> and they're walking around them and stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, anyway, whatever. And they did they did the same thing in uh, Wild Wild West. Of course, how they were able to do that in the 1800s, I don't know, but whatever. Well, it was Frank West. He can do anything. Frank West. What was that his name? James West. James West, dang it. <laughs> Frank was his twin brother. The evil the evil twin brother. You're <laughs> right. You you do know Wild Wild West. Was his name really Frank? Because then I'm gonna be No. I Okay. I have no idea whether they ever did an evil twin episode on Wild Wild West. <laughs> uh, fine. No clue. Um, but back to this issue. Um I did like the artwork when the cannon is hitting the shuttle and particleizing it. That looks yeah. really cool. That does look good. Yeah, that does look... I mean, it looks like it's been blown away by a nuclear blast or something. Right. Because you see see big old... Exactly. Exactly. I think it looks very cool. I agree. I agrees. Now, when it flipped into uh, black and white, white, did did it throw you? Oh, it threw me. It threw me. It was like, what the hell? I mean, I knew that in the next story, it was all black and white. So I knew that was there. So I was ready for that, but then you come to the last issue of this storyline, and then it's all black and white. That was unexpected. Right. But at least now you don't have to worry about that crease in the book cutting cutting dialogue, you know, in the in the hardcover where the, you know, where the dialogue is goes from one page to the other, and yeah. you have to like really push the book back to try to read it all. At least yeah. I liked it when it went to black and white. I was like, okay, it's still two pages, but now it's I can read They're this split. page and I can go to this page. Exactly. I don't have it's... to read across pages. Exactly. So that was nice. Yep. So I kind of hope that they continue this format uh, when they go back to color next yeah, issue. Me too. I'm not holding my breath. Right. I thought it was interesting how Uhura was giving tactical updates. As the Klingon ship was coming, Uhura is you know giving updates on, on the ship approaching and things like that. It's like, she's the comms officer. What is she doing that for? I mean, are the, are the Klingons announcing their attack run uh, positions via radio? It's like, I don't think so. Right. So I thought that was kind of odd. But I like At least you got to say something. Her, but They give her more to do, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like in, in Gold Key, a lot of times she doesn't say anything at all. But in yep. here, like Scotty, she seems to have a much more prominent role than than she has in other stuff. Yeah. So that is, is kind of good. It just doesn't make sense. Day, she becomes captain. Yeah. Like in Galaxy Quest, where uh, <laughs> Sigourney, Weaver. Sigourney Weaver was complaining about what she all, always gets to say, you know, something about incoming call, like an operator. Uh, yeah, at least they gave her something more interesting to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, because in the but yeah, but I like how every time Scotty leaves, he's like, "Ohura, you're in charge," and I'm like, "Well, technically, it probably should have been Sulu, but yeah, that too. At least, at least they're giving her something else." To yeah, do. I mean, look at how I mean, look at how long it took. For, I mean, was it? It wasn't until the movies that Ohura got to sit in the in the chair, right? Uh, the Abrams movies. 
Oh, really? I, I can't even think about that. I think I I don't think in well, definitely in in the Taz episodes, Ohura never took the con. No, I'm pretty sure she never took the con in the movies. Although that would have been more possible. And then it was uh, definitely the J.J. Abrams movie. There was one where Ahura, new Ahura, got to uh, sit in the big chair. Ah, good for her. Yes, it is good for her. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, just thought I'd mention that. Did she crash the ship? Because that's kind of what happened with Troy when she took control that one time. <laughs> no, no, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Good. Oh, uh, the, the the Klingons, uh, something that came to mind is that they look more like Neanderthals from the Geico commercials than, you know, like Klingons from the TV series. So that kind of came to mind. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, definitely don't look human. There's something, something about their heads that make them look weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they would have thrown some bumps on there, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, they look exactly like Next Generation and movie Klingons. But... Or more towards it anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's like they, they were setting up the template for what, what uh, the movie Klingons would end up being, indirectly. Right. When Scotty was sneaking into the evil underground lair, and then like crawling around and stuff, and then sabotaging things so in the end everything would blow up, kind of like a Bond movie, mm-hmm. um, I was definitely getting a Man from Uncle vibe. Because, I mean... That was like that's kind of things they did in those in some of those episodes, like there would be a bad guy and he'd have an underground layer or maybe in a volcano, whatever, and uh, like a doctor doctor evil thing, but you know they would end up infiltrating and uh, you know the men from Uncle, and then they would end up uh, you know destroying the bad guys or saving the girl or whatever. So right. it completely reminded me of those kind of things. And there's a lot of that kind of thing going on in the 60s TV shows and movies and things like that. Right. You know, like spy kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, the thing I kept not understanding is how, I mean, he knocks out these guys and then he just keeps moving. Yeah. And I'm like, well, these guys, They're when you knock somebody up. out, they don't stay out that long. I mean, no, unless you kill them. Enough uh, boxing matches that when they do get knocked up, they usually get up fairly quickly exactly. afterwards. Exactly, exactly. And yet he's like still going on. I mean, at least at the towards the end, he's like, "Oh, this guy's waking up," and I'm like, "Well, at least they're acknowledging that." Usually yeah, but don't even do that. It's one punch, they're out, and you never see them again. Right. And Scotty's in there for hours, hours, right. doing his uh, sabotage. So. Yeah, I just don't see how he got away with it that long. Right. Unless he would have, like, you know, stunned him with the, the, the ray gun, you know, I would be like, okay. Yeah, they kept him out for a while. That, that stays that stunned. Exactly. Or, or some James Bond uh, watch darts or something. You know, you don't know how long those work. <laughs> but just a punch in the face. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there were yeah. some drugs involved, fine. Right. Exactly. I, I was thinking the same thing. Now, so, when the ship... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. There you go. I was just going to say, I, I, again, back to the artwork, uh, I guess I like it, destruction, because when that part of the moon exploded, I thought it looked pretty cool, or whatever this was. The, when it shows the planet, and then it shows right. the exploding. Yeah. That looks like that moon around Kronos or something. Oh, yeah, Praxis. Praxis, that's it. Yeah. Looks a little like that. It gets so, all explodey. 
remind me, what was what was Kirk so scared about? They were going to use the gun on the people of the planet, or what was the Klingon use it. to do? They're going to use it on the ship. On okay, so so first off, he was wigged out by his crewman. Yeah, right. Disintegrating right in front of him. So right. you know, Kirk is a little bit of a sensitive soul. So that wigged him out first. And then they got the further demonstrations, even how they were able to get through the shuttle's shields. And by the way, I don't, don't remember shuttles ever having shields, but at least not in Taws. But getting so easily through the shuttle's shields and just destroying the shuttle. But so he was also Klingons, able to demonstrate they could do the same thing to the Enterprise. And by the, the way... The wanted them to go back to the Earth, right? And yeah. relay their commands. So once they got too far away, then... Well, was he still scared the Klingons were going to shoot him? Oh, well, supposedly they're going to take their ray and aim it at, at Earth. Okay. So are you saying that you're actually going, from that planet you're on right now, you're going to be able to aim it at Earth? I, I well, certainly Ky- hope not, but they kind of Kyler insinuated Ren is able that. To do it, so I guess, uh, I, guess, I guess they can. Oh, Ky- in, w- in one of the new movies, they, they shot from one planet at another planet in a totally different star system? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the first order destroys uh, the the New Republic capital from, or they were destroy the whole system from from Starkiller Base. Oh, a whole the whole the whole solar system they destroyed. Yeah, they destroy wow. like five planets at the same time. Wow, gosh! I guess I should have paid more attention. Yeah, it was the part that I didn't like because it was showing people from different planets across this. It was kind of like the JJ Star Star Trek one. Where no matter where you were, you could see Vulcan exploding, even though <laughs> you're on another planet, it's going to take years for you to see that light. So the same right. thing in that Star Wars is that yeah. you saw this light. You could see the beams going from Starkiller Base to, I forgot the name of the planet, but, but anyways, uh, it blows it all up. And I was like, that's not how light works. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't, I, I've seen all the movies. Maybe I was... Checking my phone at that point. Uh, I don't remember that. Oh well. So I oh, guess well. they I guess they ratchet up ratchet it up, right? So they originally had the Death Star, mm-hmm. and then they had the Super Death Star. Well, where do you go after that? Well, you have it planet based, and it's so big that it can shoot other solar systems. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Other star systems. That makes sense. Yeah, we'll do that. That's okay. how science works. Oh God. So yeah, so I guess these Klingons had the same idea, but mm. they were going to turn it into dust. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, this is where JJ got it from. Yeah, he's reading from, his from books. these UK comics. Uh, that's where JJ. Got oh, it. you're right. He was probably doing his research for his movies, his Star Trek movies. And he said, "And, hey, and what, this was what like about a little that Star thing. Trek thing. We can do that with this, right? Like, it's, it's, it's Star Wars, could, but nobody borrow that from the UK. Yeah, exactly. No, Let's do nobody's that. read. Nobody's read those strips. Exactly." <laughs> So, Nobody knows what a Joe 90 is. I can get away with it. <laughs> Towards the end, I love how the Klingon commander or whatever used the call sign or Overlord HQ. You know, I think this is when they were calling up to Kirk in the ship. Signing off from Overlord HQ. And it's like, what? Overlord HQ? I mean, what is this? Dr. Horrible? And he's like, God, this guy's got an ego. <laughs> they call me the Overlord and this is my headquarters. That's funny. I thought that was yeah. I thought that was kind of weird and funny. I, I'm going to be a little honest here. When I was reading this book in particular, I 
was every time I started reading it, it was kind of late at night, and yeah. it might have taken me like three or four days to read it. Because every time I would get like halfway through one of these double pages, I'd be like, I know my eyes are going over the words, but I'm not, I'm not digesting it anymore, and I'm like, I gotta go to sleep. So, yes, it was this book in particular that I had a hard time reading. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the next one's even longer. I don't think it was the length. I think it was just that uh, you know, for that week, I was just picking bad times to start reading. Uh, There you go. Tired. Tired. All right, you ready to go to the next one? Or you I am. Up? Let's go. All right, let's go. All right, so this one is entitled The Marshall Plan, and it came out issues 24 through 31. This is March 7th through April 25th of 1970, and the artist throughout is Jim Bakey. So the Enterprise receives a VIP visitor by the name of Ambassador Courtney Marshall. Once he's beamed aboard, the ambassador becomes a huge pain in the bump. Uh, I was going to say something else. Once beamed aboard, the ambassador becomes a huge pain in the butt, and he bosses around everybody, including Kirk. He informs them that they are heading to the planet Tondus to broker a peace treaty with the planet and Romulans. Before too long, they are attacked by a rocket ship. The ambassador demands that they do not fire back. But after the Enterprise takes some large hits and some damage from the tiny little craft, Kirk orders some return fire. With that, the alien craft quickly disengages and retreats back to the planet Tundis. The ambassador assumes that the attack must have been some sort of mistake and claims that Kirk may have jeopardized the whole mission. Uh, regardless, Kirk and the ambassador and three others beam down to the planet to start the delegation. Once on the planet, they're greeted by the police and then are taken to the Tondosian leader. The leader says that he will look into why that ship attacked him. And then the leader ambassador head off to start the negotiations while Kirk and the others are taken on a tour of the city. Once alone, the leader ambassador have a toast. And what do they toast to? They toast to the Romulan Empire. Bum, bum, bum. Meanwhile, Kirk's tour of the city, they see a few landmarks, some fantastic teleporters, and then they're escorted to a prison, which they're kind of put in and shut the door. Inside the prison, they find that there's another guy locked up in there, but this guy's even worse off because he's in chains and tattered clothing, and this guy claims to be the real Courtney Marshall. Meanwhile, we flash back to the fake ambassador and the leader of the Tondosians, and uh, they talk about this great Romulan plan they're all part of. Uh, it seems that the Romulans are able to replace high-ranking people with Romulan soldiers that are somehow augmented with new faces and memories of the people that they're impersonating. The plan now is to copy the crew of the Enterprise with Romulan doppelgangers and then take the ship straight to the heart of the Federation and start replacing people there. Before long, the Starfleet crew that's inside the prison are electrocuted, knocked out, and then brought to the lab and tied to tables. The process of mapping and scanning their brains are about to begin. Meanwhile, Scotty is informed by Starfleet that uh, something might be off. That uh, They have a picture of what Courtney Marshall's supposed to look like, and it's not the guy they just took to the planet. He is then able to get Kirk's communicator to turn on and start transmitting and he was able to hear the whole plan from the Romulans. 
He then takes a fleet of four shuttlecraft down to the Talosian city. The shuttles make quick work of the planet's defenses, and they make it into the building in which Kirk and company are being held in. The leader then tries to blow up the whole city instead of being taken alive, but Scotty's team are too fast, and they break in and stun everyone. They release Kirk from his bed and inform him that the prisoners from the prison are free and the day is saved. Thanks to Scotty. Dun, dun, dun. Scotty. <laughs> Scotty. That's how, that's how all these should end. <laughs> After he says his little lame joke, they should just have a chorus of women in the background. Scotty! <laughs> uh, yes. He is, he, he is the unsung hero. Uh, where before Discovery was always all about the, the captain being the main character. Well, not so with Scotty! Right. Okay, I gotta say, my favorite part of this whole thing is where there are four shuttles streaking out of the shuttle bays, out of the butt of the Enterprise, and they are just streaking into action. Those those shots looked awesome. They look awesome, and they're accurate. The, the Galileo is one of them. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, is the other one got seven next to it too? No, it has a one. I is it a one? It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, there's that one. That could be a seven one. again. That one's a looks like an E. That doesn't make sense. Oh no, that just says Enterprise. Uh, now the other one's whatever a doesn't Pretty matter. Sure it's a one. Okay, um, but, but anyways, the main point cool. is they made those ships look cool somehow. Somehow, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's like you know the shuttles were nothing. I mean, they had no weapons. I mean, they established that when they were uh, in the episode Galileo Seven. You know, when Spock was in command and those beasts were coming, they had no weapons. Except for the hand phasers, so anyway. But well, these, these guys, do, these things they... have shields. They have weapons. They're attack ships. Yeah, yeah. They make short work of of all of these Romulan ships. Or I'm, I guess they're Tenosian ships, whatever they are. Yeah, they're, they're Tenosians. Yeah, they're, yeah, right. They are not Romulan ships. But but are they Teno- Are they Romulans piloting them, or are they Tenosians? I thought they're still Tenosians, who apparently are people that will take any orders from anybody who they think are their leaders, which, fine, whatever. I mean, they, they, make, a, they make a point of that right. at one point. So they still only replace the leaders. They're not replacing, like, the common man. Uh, I, no, no, these are Tenosian people. Yeah, that's uh, what mostly. I thought, too. I yeah. was just making sure yeah, that we were, we were getting the same thing. Right. Yeah, okay. We are. So yeah, this this story is was was interesting, but <laughs> maybe not good. <laughs> I, I don't want to okay, say so... that because I enjoyed it. I it was easier to read than the other one. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was because oh. I was not so tired. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. So the beginning of the story completely paralleled an ep- a Taz episode uh, named "A Taste of Armageddon." And in that one, Ambassador Fox came onto the Enterprise and was the jerk who basically was overriding some of the things Kirk wanted to do. So they were in the middle of a mission to a planet, 
that they were hoping to open uh, important ties to, and there was some kind of a uh, humanitarian disaster, people were dying, whatever. Kirk wanted to get some cure and, and help those people, and then Fox said, no, you got to do this, it's more important, and he overrides Kirk. So that was kind of similar, but... I mean, you know, Ambassador Fox uh, was a pompous ass, but at least he wasn't acting like this guy, this Courtney Marshall. I mean, he he's acting like he's royalty or something. Right. Uh, what, yeah, what, he even what, takes Kirk's quarters. He, he takes his quarters. Oh, my God. And and what is what, what, what does he want to be called? Your Majesty, not Your Majesty, uh, but... Your Highness, your, or no, Your Eminence or something your like that? Em- something like that. It's like, what? No, there's no monarchy. And look at how he's dressed. It's like, no. I mean, the Federation is not a monarchy. And and there are not lords and ladies and blah, blah, blah. So the way they were being presented in this comic was totally... They never went anywhere near that far uh, as Ambassador Fox on the episode. Right. So that was kind of throwing me off. And look at his outfit. I mean, what the heck? Right. Yeah, tr- yeah, try not to try not to draw attention to yourself, Romulan in disguise. <laughs> and by the way, he didn't seem to look at all like the real ambassador. Yeah, that's and, what I, that's what I was going to get at. That didn't make sense. That that's how Scotty put two and two together. That that the picture of Courtney Marshall didn't match the exactly. guy they leaned over. But but then their whole plan is to take people and replace their exactly. faces and minds with so, the other person. So when they swapped them out, they didn't have enough time to do that process? So some kind of short, fat, rotund guy or chunky guy goes ahead and takes his place. And the real ambassador is this skinny guy that looks like uh, somebody that fell out of uh, a Monty Python episode. <laughs> you know, they, they used to have that, that recurring thing where they have like a, like a prisoner against right. a wall. Right, right. You know, uh, all skinny in a loincloth and long hair and everything. And by the way, how did he get in that condition? Yeah, he wasn't he a prisoner there? long enough. Well, that we know of. We don't know how long. Well, but well, I thought they said. I thought they, they swapped said that, yeah, them. Yeah, swapped them when they were beaming over. That's, exactly. That's, yeah. So, so, that, yeah. So how long was that? That was only like a couple days? I would think, yeah. Anyway. It just didn't yep. seem to make sense. Well, and the prison doesn't make sense either. So it's a big, giant, like, concrete building in the middle of town. They walk in. The guys shut the door. And then they're in prison, you know? So yeah. Where's all the other prisoners? And then suddenly, like, a they're on a conveyor belt of some sort. Oh, yeah, I love you know, that. They, the conveyor I love belt that. just takes them to the guy in the chains. It made no sense at all. No, not at all. So, so you went ahead and built that conveyor belt. Just for people that you take prisoner. Uh, what? No. Uh, no, it does not. And then, and then the guy who is the leader of, uh, or the replaced leader, a guy that does have a, a, a doppelganger, looks like, you know, he looks like a wizard. Right. He's got the beard and the, and the pointy hat, and uh, it just looked weird. I mean, there's parts where he's actually the leader of the Tongalians, whatever. He actually looks like he's casting a spell in one panel. <laughs> I mean, his left hand's up in the air, kind of like he's doing the juju towards people or something. His his magical powers, and he's got the hat, and he's got the arched eyebrows. It's just weird. Right. Yep. No, I totally see the picture you're talking about. Yeah. 
Okay, I will yep. say one thing. Um, at least Courtney Marshall, the picture of him, he did have a long beard and and balding with longish looking hair in the back. So yeah, but he's not. I, I will say that. I will say that. All right. So maybe not as bad as I originally said, but but I was a little disappointed that the whole time you saw they never showed the Romulans close up, so you could never tell that they weren't just human looking. Yeah, they didn't have any Vulcan features or anything. Even before they got zapped with the, the the face changer, right? So I don't know what was going on. Well, and yeah, and the and the guard, I saw the guard guy had to be. Um, I, I assume the guard guy who was kind of with Kirk and and, and everybody, the landing party, the honor guard. I right. assume he was a Romulan, but he doesn't look like a Romulan. But he's got a big helmet on, so you can't see his ears. Well, but if he was a Romulan, he could he could have been face morphed to look like a guard that was already on that planet. Uh, true, true. But, so the, these guys were bad, and they were clever, and they had a devious uh, plan going on, so that's all Romulan, but we never really saw anybody that looked like a Romulan. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're right, face change, whatever, still. I guess if Kirk can do it, then why can't the Romulans make their faces look like humans or <laughs> so you can't fault you can't fault the writer for that part the enterprise incident yeah yeah okay gotcha so they make a big deal scotty is able to figure out the whole thing because he's able to turn kirk's communicator on without mm. kirk having hit the button right but then later kirk has to hit the button in order to communicate with scotty Mm. And I was just like, well, he can already hear everything you're saying. Just start talking. You don't have to hit the stupid button. Right? Yep. So that was a little inconsistent from page to page. Yeah. Yep. And then it was a little freaky that Scotty could just always turn on your uh, your communicator and listen to what you're doing. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of remote control capability would have come in handy, wouldn't it? I mean, it's kind of a invasion of privacy, but it does kind of make sense that you'd be able to do it. I mean, Amazon could do that today with the uh, Alexa stuff. Or Google, you know, with right. all these things. I mean, if they can do it now, imagine what you could do in several hundred years. Right. It's kind of creepy. Dewey. Yes. Not a fan. No. Uh, that, that was unexpected. But it sure was handy, wasn't it? Right. And here's another circumstance where um, you capture somebody, but you don't remove any of their equipment. Oh, yeah. That was ridiculous. We're going to let you have your phaser and your walkie-talkies and anything else you have. Just just lay on the bed. Well, okay, so they didn't have phasers. Yeah, I know they didn't. But we've seen other issues of the U.K. strips where they let them. They capture them, but put them in the cages with the phasers. Yeah, I think last week or last last episode. uh, So... uh, they definitely did that. So I'm just saying, it's just... I'm pretty sure the first time... When you capture somebody, the first thing you do is strip them of all their equipment. Of course. Makes perfect sense. I mean, I've never captured anybody, and I hope never to have to capture somebody, but... But if I do it... But if I do it, I'm taking away their communicator and guns. <laughs> I noticed you said communicator and guns, and not communicator and phasers. There is well, a difference. I... But... They don't have phasers now. I'm oh, you I think not? Well, my brother sent me an email 
about a Xerox printer that I could get for a really cheap price, and they actually call the color laser jet printer a phaser. Phaser. It said phaser. I almost bought it just because of the name. <laughs> huh. That's well, right. Xerox. They're marketing it to phaser. <laughs> anyway. So I, speaking of phasers, I love seeing there's some, there's some scenes in here, and they got phaser rifles when they get into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the uh, crew, uh, they are carrying traditional Taz phaser rifles. Yes. Your favorite. My favorites, exactly. Awkward, a little stupid looking, but I love them. So you have a couple, right? Couple? I have one. <laughs> oh, I thought you had more than one. Do you phaser ever, rifle? Like, oh, yeah. well, okay. I have one of Todd's that, of phaser that rifle. Style, of that style. Of that style, I have one. <laughs> and that was expensive enough that I'm not going to have a second. So you don't go around cosplaying with it and seeing if you could really do the rolling around with it? Mm, popping up behind no. rocks to shoot the corn? <laughs> it's more like uh, spinning, rolling, coming up, shooting at uh, at Gary Mitchell. Ah, uh, right. Why? Well, okay, I guess I could. I could imagine the Gorns. Sure. <laughs> although, although I they can were... imagine the Gorns, but that would not be canon. <laughs> exactly. so I can't imagine it that way. That would not actually be uh, accurate to what happened in episode number two thirty-five. Yes. No, but it no. When you hold on to this thing, it's awkward. It just it's just it looks, it looks cool, kind of. I mean, for the for the day, nineteen sixties, whatever. But when you actually are holding this thing, it's like not very comfortable. Hmm. So it has not aged well, as you're saying. Well, it still looks awesome, but yeah. I mean, the a... the, the the little parabolic dish on the front of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doesn't look very modern. Not as cool as the Deep Space Nine phaser rifles from the first couple seasons. Exactly. 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 Let's not get into that. (laughs) Um, I really don't have anything else to say. I I enjoyed the artwork with all all of the artwork with spacecraft in it. I liked. And even if the ships were kind of, you know, the, the alien ships were just basically rockets again. Uh, still, I I liked watching them attack the Enterprise. I liked watching the shuttlecrafts destroy them all. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed those pictures. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, the uh, the Tongalian ships were a little odd looking. Again, kind of like traditional upright rocket ships, but then they had a little weird kind of I don't know spade shaped flange on the very front of it, so that gave it a little little different look to it. But yeah. Very yeah. Buck Rogers look. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, I, and they're not very good fighters, <clears throat> as we saw, because the the shuttlecrafts took them all out. <laughs> 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 oh, Taz shuttlecrafts were so pathetic. <laughs> I mean, it was a utilitarian, low budget transportation vehicle, and that was it. Anyway, whatever. All right. Anything yeah. else? My only last thing to say is, having seen these dogfights here, shuttles and dogfights, it reminded me of the end of Discovery Season 2, 
where somehow Discovery has like hundreds of shuttles and drones that they throw into a big huge pitched battle which was spectacular I'll give it that but it's like no no <laughs> that's that's not Star Trek and it certainly isn't that in that time period it's ridiculous right I don't know whether we ever had a chance to comment on that maybe I'm repeating myself but I, no, just, I don't think we have it's like yeah it was cool looking at everything but Come on, guys. Plus, where they where they keep them all? Exactly. I mean, did, did they all... They didn't all come from Discovery. Did some of them come from the Enterprise? Because they were both there. Right. I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. It's just like, like, oh, well, we happen to pull out... The, pull these, uh, you know, hundreds of ships out of our posterior and throw it into battle. It's like, oh, my God. Maybe they replicate them. Uh, I don't like, think really, so. Wait. I don't think so. No, maybe... Anyway, that's the last thing I have to say. All right, cool. All right, well, my vote for next week is that we continue some more UK strips. What do you think? Yeah, why not? Let's do that. So it'll be, uh, what, 13 through 15? 13 through 15, yes. Okay. It's definitely, uh, I kind of perused them a little bit. They they did get away from splitting the page or rolling the page all the way over the book, so that's nice. Makes it Good. easier to read. Okay, fantastic. Um, but uh, but and it looks like it's a different artist than than these two guys. So, oh, okay, different again. Okay, yeah, it definitely well, does what, not look I, the same. I thought it was odd that they kept with the same Harry F. Linfield for so long. Yeah, because I mean, most comics they kind of swap, or at least yeah. modern day comics they swap uh, artists a lot. But maybe not as much yeah, with this, comics. This guy probably is, you know, was doing the Joe Joe ninety thing, and he was yeah. hired to do two pages. A week for for this magazine, so yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Anyways, sounds All right. great. Anything else? Nothing Any else? else. Anything else? Nope. None. None. All right. Well, then we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll see if uh, the the new format of the the UK strips work. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Scotty. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.